Gospels to John chapter 11. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, um, I am Alan. I uh, have the privilege of serving as pastor here. And uh, we are thrilled that you chose to come and worship with us on Easter uh, Sunday morning. Are you familiar with the uh, Coca-Cola iconic ad from 1971? It's called, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Anybody ever heard that before? A few of you, okay. The song ends with these words. It's the real thing, what the world wants today. Coca-Cola was uh, interviewed, not Coca-Cola, but someone from Coca-Cola was interviewed about that, and they said this, young people seek the real, the original, and the natural as an escape from phoniness. I believe that what the world does need is the real thing. And I'm not talking about Dr. Pepper because we know that's better than Coca-Cola. I'm talking about what the world really needs is the real thing. And yet all too often we, we satisfy ourselves or we think we're satisfied by going to the less than. We miss out on the best of life because we settle for the lesser things. Let me share some examples. What would be better would be a real trip to Niagara Falls versus some kind of virtual reality trip to see the falls. What would be better is real relationships, but what we settle for is Facebook friends. What would be better is real sense of purpose in life, and yet what we sometimes settle for is temporary highs. What would be best is a real encounter with Jesus, and what we sometimes settle with is just knowing about him. And so this morning, we want to look at the real thing and what really matters. And even when it comes to Easter, we can get things backwards. We can make Easter about getting the new clothes. We can make Easter about going to church as a family. We can make Easter about going out to eat. We can make Easter about having a great day or the event. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things aren't bad by themselves, but it's not the real thing. See, the real thing about Easter is not just doing those things. It's not the event. It's the person. It's the one who was resurrected. This morning, as I may use the word person, hear me clearly what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus was simply a person. What I'm saying is that God sent his son, fully God, put on the form of a man and fully man at the same time. And I don't know how to wrap my brain around it other than that's the gospel truth. And so this morning, if I say we should choose the person instead of the event, when I say person, I acknowledge that what Jesus is is not simply a person, but the uh, God in the flesh. So Easter is about Jesus, the one who was resurrected, and not the resurrection per se. Let me explain what I mean further. Sometimes it's churches, when it comes to Easter, we get things out of sort. I don't know if you ever watched John Christ or not, but he's a comedian. He does some funny stuff. A few years ago, he released a video, a mock video of what pastors sometimes do when it comes to Easter. And the sad truth is it's sometimes reality. As churches, sometimes we get kind of hyped up about Easter. We're like, oh my goodness, there's going to be a lot of people at church. We, we need to blow it out and do these big things. We need to do these giveaways. We need to go for a wow factor. We need to have special events. We need to impress the people when we forget that the power of the resurrection is what it's all about and the one who was resurrected. So this morning, as we continue thinking through Easter and what Easter means, as we move into a new series, as you can see on your screen there, called Who is Jesus? We're looking at the real thing, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus tells us who he is. He tells us throughout 
the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are simply gospel versions or stories or accounts of what took place in the life of Jesus written by those four individuals by being inspired by God to put those words on, pa on paper. And in the book of John, which is a gospel written by the apostle or disciple John, we see that Jesus is recorded seven different times saying, I am, and then you fill in the blank. This morning, we're looking at the fact that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so as we discover who is Jesus, we're going to go to his words to discover who he is so that we can then live our lives according to the truth that is found in his words. Now, before I go much further, let me jump into this idea of I am. What's so big about Jesus saying I am? It's more than just simply saying, I am a fan of this, or I'm a fan of that, or I am uh, 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 fill in the blank. Like, if I was describing myself, I could say, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. I am a husband of a wife named Ashley. I've got four kids. I can say all these I ams about me, but there's really no, nothing special about my I am, I am statements. With Jesus, there's something very big about the fact that he chose that word structure of I am. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Moses or not, and if, that's okay, if you aren't, that's okay. Let me kind of tell you. In the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Moses. He shows up, and there's a bush that's burning but not consumed, and then God's voice comes out from the bush. And essentially, what we find out in the book of Exodus is that happens, that God sends Moses down to Egypt to rescue the people of Israel, or God's chosen people, out of slavery, and as God tells Moses, I need you to go and do that, then Moses says, well, that's great and all, God, but I haven't been there in 40 years. These people are going to question who I am and what I'm doing here, and they're going to question who sent me. And so Moses says in Exodus chapter 3, who should I tell them sent me? I'm going to read one verse. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Here's God's reply. He said, tell them this, Moses, I am who I am. That's who sent you. Say this to them, I am has sent me to you. So when God tells them who he is, he simply says, I am. Because he is all that we need, and the phrase, I am, clearly describes him, because you can't describe him any more than that. And so whenever Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's not simply stating a characteristic about himself, he's making a bold claim that's true, and that is that he is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, the promised one. He is God in the flesh. He is deity and divine. And so each time that we read these statements this morning, starting with, I am the resurrection and the life, don't forget that He's saying, I am God, and because I am God, this is who I am. So I want us to look at God's Word in John chapter 11. I hope that you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, grab it, one out of the uh, the back of the, or actually underneath the seat there, if you don't have a Bible at home, take that uh, Bible home with you. We'd love for you to have it. Maybe you've got um, a God's Word on your electronic device. But turn to John chapter 11. We're not going to read the whole story. Instead, we're going to read seven verses. So I want to kind of give you the backstory. If you were here a few weeks ago, we actually looked at John chapter 11 then. But John chapter 11 tells the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And if we're not careful, we'll miss out on what's happening here. We'll settle for the less instead of the best. We'll go, oh my goodness, look at that miracle. Jesus just brought somebody back to life, which is amazing, and we'll over, overlook the one who did the work. 
So it's not about the resurrection. It's about the one who is the resurrection. It's not the event. Resurrection is not the event itself. It is the person behind the resurrection. So here's the story. Jesus is a good friend of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Because they're good friends, whenever their brother Lazarus gets sick, they do the natural thing. It's all in John chapter 11 at the beginning. And they send messengers to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you're the one you love, our brother, he's sick, come on down and help us. And so Jesus, which is a whole other sermon, and I preached it a few weeks ago, but Jesus waits two days before he shows up, and then four days after Lazarus dies, they roll into town. They, they show up in Bethany. And so we find out what happens in the conversation between Jesus and and one of Lazarus' sisters. So we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verses 21 through 27. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, let's see. I lost my place. Sorry, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha responds with these words, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. So we see there in verse 22, you may want to look back up at verse 22, that Martha is disappointed that Jesus had not come sooner. She says, even though I'm disappointed you didn't come sooner, in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So she's trying to remain hopeful, even though she's confused why Jesus hadn't shown up sooner. If you've got your worship guide open at the back, you'll see my first note says this, what, where is your hope found? You see, at this point, Martha is trying to find hope. Like, Jesus, I don't know why you didn't show up, and yet I still know that something could happen. I don't know what will happen. And she's struggling to try to find hope. In our lives, whenever we feel empty, we saw that video a moment ago, sometimes we go to things or substances or bad relationships to try to find hope in the middle of a difficult situation, and we only fall flat on our faith because it brings us even more emptiness. So where do you find your hope? We see there in verse 23 that Jesus says, Martha, it's going to be okay. Your brother Lazarus will rise again. And then now she's able to lay hold on something where her hope can be found. And now she places her hope in the resurrection in verse 24. Martha said, oh, okay, I know that he, Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. At this point, Martha's hope is placed on the traditional Jewish teaching that said that at the end of time, that resurrection would take place, and so she's looking forward to a future event. She's placing her hope in a doctrinal understanding of her belief system. It's not a bad place to put your hope, but it's not the surest foundation. 
Because if it's simply on a doctrinal statement and not on the one who created that doctrinal statement, then it falls short. So she's placing her hope on this idea of a resurrection instead of the resurrector. Does that make sense? She's placing her hope in an event somewhere in the future, but not in the one that's standing right in front of her. I think sometimes in our lives, when it comes to right standing with God, we misplace our hope. Some of us go, you know what, I know where my hope is found. I understand intellectually that Jesus came and died on a cross and was raised on the third day, and I get it right here in my brain. And we think that that's the hope that matters. We've never allowed it to really sink into our life. We've never really trusted in him for salvation. We've not placed our faith in him. We've not repented of our sins, but we understand it intellectually. You know, sometimes we think that our hope is found in the fact that I'm at church on Easter Sunday morning, or or I once got baptized, or I once became a member of a church, or or I've been active in church, or I've given financially to a church, or I've worked on a mission project with a church, and we kind of place our hope in these things that we do as if we can work for our salvation. It's a misplaced hope. We're placing our hope in our things and our accomplishments instead of placing our hope in Jesus Christ. So for Martha, she's placing her hope in this future event and not in the one that's standing before her. Not yet, anyway. Now let's look at Jesus' statement about himself. As he responds to her, he hears what she's saying, he knows where she's kind of hung up, and he clarifies. In verse 25, he says, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says, yes, the resurrection will happen at the end, but there's something bigger and better. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm the one that brings resurrection. I'm the one that brings life. I am the one to be worshipped and adored and praised and not this idea of a future resurrection. See, without Jesus, there is no hope. But because of Jesus, we do have hope. He's trying to redirect her thoughts away from an event and to him personally. Now, if we were to continue to read the story, which I would encourage you to read at some point today, we would see that in dramatic fashion, Jesus does the very thing that he said he would do. He resurrects Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was beginning to stink, they roll back the tomb of the stone, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave, and he's alive again. But that's not the most exciting part of the story. The most part, exciting part of the story is found in verses 25 and 26, when Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. See, lots of people had seen Jesus do miracles in their midst, heal people, feed 5,000, even perform this miracle. They'd seen him do lots of things, and they had the wow factor. And Jesus said, it's not about the wow factor. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the event. It's about me. Place your faith and trust in me because I'm the one that brings resurrection. I'm the one that brings life. See, that day, Jesus didn't simply perform a resurrection. He identified that he is the resurrection. So there in your notes, 
based on what verse 25 tells us. It says Jesus is, and I've got the words it, the word is in capital letters because I want us to not miss this point, that Jesus is the resurrection. I think many people who witnessed that miracle that day completely were clueless on what took place. I mean, wouldn't you be pretty pumped? Like, you go to a football game and yell pretty loudly. Can you imagine being at, at, at a tomb where this guy's dead and has been dead for four days and this other guy comes up and says, hey, come on out of there, and the dude walks out? Wouldn't you be pretty stoked by that? Or scared, or both? <laughs> that doesn't mean that you trusted in Jesus. It just means you, the guy put a good show on. Like, woohoo, you go, big boy. And when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, the fact that he was crucified on a cross, the fact that he laid in the tomb for three days. You heard my conversation with my son about those three days. He laid in the tomb for three days and was resurrected again. We could go, oh my goodness, that's pretty cool stuff. Like, I wish I was there. Like, where's the shroud? I want to see the shroud. What does it look like? What's it? And we get all excited about the event and we totally miss the person. You follow what I'm saying here? It's not about the resurrection per se. It's about the one who is the resurrection. Don't get me wrong. The resurrection took place. It's literal. It's important. It had to happen. If it didn't happen, then we'd be completely lost without it. But it's not the event. It's the one who performed the event. So we see that Jesus is the resurrection. I think Jesus wanted to turn Martha's acceptance of a correct doctrinal statement into Faith in him and him alone. So this morning, as we say he is not in the tomb, he's risen. Let's not make it about an event. Let's make it about Jesus. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of honor. It's much more than an event. It's a, it's an, it's a person. And the good news is this. We read about it in Romans chapter 6 before the baptisms. That because of Jesus' resurrection, those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we experience the power of his resurrection as we seek to live our lives honoring him, following him, and bringing glory to him. If you're trying to live this Christian life in your own power and your own strength, you're going to fail every single time. If you walk out and go, you know what, church was pretty cool today. I want to be a better person in the future. We're going to slip and fall every time. There's no hope without Jesus. And because there's Jesus, if we place our faith and our trust in him, then we can live in the power and strength of his resurrection as we seek to live for him. So my question is, have you experienced that resurrection in your life personally? I'm not saying to you mentally assent to the fact that, it, yeah, it probably took place. I'm saying, do you understand that without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, without your repentance of your sin and your faith and trust in him, that you are dead and hopeless? It's about the person of Jesus. So not only is Jesus the resurrection, we see there on your notes and also in verse 25, Jesus is the life. He doesn't just give life, he is life. All true life is in him from the beginning to the end. You see, when conception takes place, God's the one that does that. When that baby, not that thing, but that baby is in, in the mother's womb for those nine months, that's a living person, and that life is there by God, and no one has the right to take it away. Flip side takes place, too. 
that gentleman in that nursing home bed is a human too. No one takes that life. Jesus is the life. He brings physical life, which is critical, and we must honor that. But more importantly, because he gives physical life, he also gives the opportunity for spiritual life. And there's no life outside of him. We see in verse 26 that there's no other way to salvation except through him. It says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, Jesus doesn't mean we'll never die physically because Lazarus was laying in the tomb. Lazarus had died physically. Scripture tells us, science tells us, there's 100% odds that we will die unless Jesus comes back first. We will die. Death is coming. But when Jesus says that even, um, whenever he says there in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. He's talking about spiritually speaking. Jesus is life. Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to have life with a purpose? Do you want to not be empty? Do you want to be in right standing with God? There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Faith that he is the way for salvation, which then brings us spiritual life instead of death. I found it interesting while I studied this week. If you're here every week, you know that I'm no Greek scholar. I don't play one on television either. I just simply open my concordance and my Bible study material, and you can do the same thing. And and I found that interesting thing about the Greek phrase right here. Look at verse 26. In English, it says this, whoever believes in him shall never die. The shall never die. Here's the cool thing. In Greek, here's what it says. He shall not never die forever. He shall not, he shall not never die forever. You know, in English, if you have a double negative, then it cancels out and it's a positive, right? The Greeks did not believe that. It's like, no, I said it twice. That emphasizes it even stronger. There's no doubt. You will never not die forever, Jesus says, because he brings life. When you have Jesus, you have life. A moment ago, we splashed a little water over here. This didn't bring life. This is a reflection of the life that Jesus brought through repentance and faith in him and him alone. And because he brought life, we celebrated as we showed you what it looked like to die to the old self and to be raised to new life. There's life. It's available through Jesus. Andrew, a moment ago as he prayed, reminded us that the Bible is clear. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That because of our sin, we stand eternally separated from a holy, good God who is also a just God. And because of our sin, that if we don't place our faith and our trust in him, then when we die, we shall die both physically and spiritually and end up in a horrible place called hell. But if we trust in him, then we can celebrate the resurrection and life that is Easter as we trust in Jesus for his forgiveness of our sins that we might have life in him. You see, life is not a physical condition. Life is not simply a social experiment. Life is a person, and that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. 
You might want to jot this down. I'm not going to read the verse, but Colossians 3, 4. I love what Paul says in Colossians 3, 4. He says several things, but in one phrase, he says, Christ, who is your life. Our life is Jesus himself. So, Jesus says to Martha, he's actually pointing to what will happen in the very near future as he's literally crucified on a cross and killed for us and then raised to new life. He's pointing out to what's going to happen in the future. And here's what he says to Martha in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He describes it all. And then he says, do you believe this? And she responds in verse 27. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. And so the last point that I have on your notes there says, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? See, we can come together and have fun this morning. I hope that you've had fun. I hope that you've enjoyed being here. I hope that you've been blessed by what took place. But it's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. It's not about having a good time. Instead, it's about Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. So what do you say? Who do you say he is? Martha said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. You see, salvation is not simply an agreement with a statement of faith. It's not simply an event. It's the person that we place our faith and trust in. You know, there's a character in the Bible and in real life called Satan, right? Satan knows that Jesus was crucified, right? Do we all agree to that? Satan knows that Jesus was resurrected. Do we agree with that? But does he place his faith and his trust in Jesus? Absolutely not. So it's not simply accepting mentally a doctrinal statement. It's accepting the one who was buried and resurrected on our behalf. It's repentance and faith in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. See, we're saved by the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and not by a doctrine. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying doctrine's not important. I'm not saying that that doctrinal statement is not true. I'm just saying that believing a doctrine is not salvation. It's believing that Jesus is the way for salvation that brings salvation. So where are you? Do you know that God made you to be in relationship with him? Do you know that there's a thing called sin that gets in the way that prevents you from being in right standing with him? Has there been a time in your life where you've acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of salvation, that God sent his son on your behalf so that he could pay the price for your sin and be crucified on the cross and that you wouldn't have to pay for it on your own? And have you turned to him in faith and repentance? I hope you've heard me say this several times, so I hope that the bottom line is not a surprise. Here's what the bottom line says. The resurrection is not simply an event. The resurrection is a person. You see, Easter is about faith in a person and not simply a belief that an event took place, although the event did take place. Some of you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation. Many of us have in this room. But I would say that perhaps we forgot half of that statement Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We're like, yeah, I know he's life. He brought life to me. He's forgiven me of my sins. But no, he's also the resurrection, meaning that we live in the power of the resurrection so that we can live our lives not in our own power, in our own strength, but in his power, in his strength, in the strength of his resurrection that allows us to live a life that's more pleasing to him. Some of us, as Christians, 
are almost acting like we're still in the grave, as if we're still dead. It's time for us to wake up and experience the resurrection and the life who is Jesus and live for his glory by his power and his strength. Since Jesus has power to overcome sin and death, he can do anything in your life. So here's the deal. In the resurrection of Lazarus, it's not so much about what he did and how, the fact that Lazarus was dead and now was back to life. It was pointing to Jesus, who then we see a few weeks later do the same thing in his life, but he comes back to life and never dies again and brings salvation for those who will accept him. And so we see that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. So I think that we've got some next steps that all of us might need to consider taking. And here's, I've got four that you could consider. The first one is this, trust in Jesus for salvation. Don't go, oh my goodness, the service went a little bit later than I thought it might, and I got to go out and eat lunch real quick. Think of this, don't miss the best thing, which is Jesus and his resurrection for the good things about going to hunt Easter egg hunts, uh, Easter eggs this afternoon. Focus on the fact that you need Jesus and trust in him for salvation. So some of us in this room, for the very first time, you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus and him alone for salvation. I mentioned the um, card that's in your uh, chair seat in front of you. If this morning you want to know more about Jesus and salvation through him and him alone, maybe you're interested in baptism, and maybe you want to talk with someone, I encourage you to either talk with someone today and or jot it down on that card, put that card in one of our hands or put it in the offering uh, box on the back of uh, the room so that we can follow up with you to talk to you about what it means to trust in Jesus. Don't miss what Easter is all about and that is salvation. The second thing that some of us need to do is I'm going to make a commitment to be here every week this series. We're going to look at the I am statements. We're going to look at seven things that Jesus says about himself. And I need to understand who Jesus is. Maybe I'm not ready for salvation yet. Maybe I need to understand him a little bit better. And maybe I just need to get a better handle on it. Come back and be a part of this series as we move forward to the next seven weeks. The third next step that some of us need to take is to invite somebody to come with us. Do you know anybody in your life that is confused on who Jesus is? Do you know anybody in your life that needs to know more about who he is? Invite them to come with you knowing that we're going to be talking about that subject for the next seven weeks. I mean, we talk about Jesus all the time, but we're really diving into this question, who is Jesus? And then the fourth next step that I have written down here is this. Maybe as we go through this series, you're going to make a commitment to read through the book of John. The book of John is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's the gospel account of John telling about Jesus' life, and maybe you want to spend some time getting to know Jesus even more by reading through the book of John. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I do know this. He's calling all of us to salvation in him and him alone. And if you've not made that decision, today should be the day that you make that decision. He's calling all of us to walk out of here, living in the power of his resurrection. So I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to sing one song together as a church family after the prayer. And I'll be available here at the front if you want to talk with me. I know that um, one of our deacons, um, Chad, and his wife, Kristen, will be here at the front as well. Um, and we want to take an opportunity to respond as God leads us this morning. Maybe you need to come here. Maybe you need to pull out that card and fill that card out. But you respond as God leads you this morning. Let me lead us in prayer.
God, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel, the hope found in the resurrection, that there's no other hope outside of you. God, I thank you that Jesus clearly stated with his words and his actions that he is the resurrection and the life. Help us to understand that this morning so that we can follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.